So let's go to John chapter 5. The Gospel of John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a sky Bible for you. And we will put it up on the screen. And as you're finding John 5, I want to give a shout out to everybody up in Seattle that is watching right now. We love you, Seattle. Your weather, I think, is just as good as our weather is right, right here in L.A. And for everybody watching online, Church Home Global, we love you all over the world. Wherever you're watching from, we're excited that you're taking time out of your schedule to be with us and to join us in community. John chapter 5, I want to read a story starting in verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him saying, sir, I, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. I want to title tonight's talk, Pool Party. Pool Party. How many love a good pool party? You know what I'm saying? I don't know where you're watching from, but here in LA in July, today was one of the hottest days that we've had in a long time. I rode my bike to the beach. I did it, Scott. I was like, I got to get to some water, and I hope you found a pool or something. Pool Party. Let's, let's pray one more time. God, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for everybody that made it here through traffic and decided to be a part of, of church tonight. God, I pray in these next few moments you'd help me speak and articulate what you want to say. And God, give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to receive. And God, we know and expect that you're going to change us from the inside out. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in it, from L.A. to Seattle to around the world in our online global community God, we love you so much, and thank you so much for the invention of air conditioning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Growing up, I wasn't really much of a sports guy. Any people in here that are brave enough to admit you're not the most athletic person in the world, okay? Okay, hey, we had an enthusiastic shout from somebody right over there. Let's hang out later. I am... Um, I was in high school, I was, I, was, I was in band, and when I say I was in band, I mean I was in all the bands. I, I played clarinet in the marching band, and then I realized I someday wanted to have a girlfriend, so I, I picked up a saxophone <laughs> and, and joined the jazz band. And, um, and so, I mean, I was in all the bands, and I was more of a music guy, and then I kind of got into more functional long-term instruments like the piano and guitar, and I was just, music was my thing. And I was, I was a little bit involved in, in sports growing up, but um, I remember being in high school and realizing like, man, I, I just, I, I don't have what it takes to be on the basketball team. Football is definitely not in my future, like I'm gonna break something. And, uh, and, and I started thinking about what sport is it that I could do? And I, I believe the easiest sport to participate in, not to be the best in, but the easiest sport to participate in 
is track. Now, let me explain for all you runners out here. Let me explain my logic behind this. Because in other sports, okay, in soccer, you have to run a lot. You have to run fast, but you also have to be good with your feet and be able to pass a ball and, and, and kick a ball into a goal, okay? In basketball, you have to be able to run a lot, but you also have to know how to dribble, and you have to know how to shoot into a basket and how to screen and how to run plays. In football, there's a lot of running as well, but you also have to learn how to catch, how to pass, how to block, how to run your routes, all these different things in all these sports. Track is the most basic, simplest sport because all it requires is the running part, right? Are you following my logic here? All the other sports require running and other things. Track, okay, so when the coach got the track team together for the huddle before the track meet, it went like this. All right, guys, I want you to get out there, and I want you to run. I want you to run fast. All right, coach. He goes, hold on, hold on, I'm not done. I want you to put one foot in front of the other foot and just keep running. Yes, and so I was like, I can handle this. It doesn't require coordination, hand-eye coordination, catching balls, passing balls. It just requires, I just need to run. So I'm like, track is my sport. If there's any sport that I could do, I, I could do track. So I'm on the track team, freshman year, and here we go, and I'm doing the, the event, the 400, okay? It's one, one time around the track, and you think that sounds easy. One time around the track sounds easy, okay? But listen to me, it's a quarter of a mile that you just have to full-on sprint, okay? You just go, I mean, all you can. Are, are there any track and field people up in the house tonight? Okay, okay, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so it's one thing, anybody can sprint for 40 yards. Anybody can sprint maybe for 100. But when you think about 400 yards all out, a quarter of a mile, I want you to sprint all out. This is what I was competing in. I was the 400. And so I was there, I mean, this is ninth grade me, I'm just the skinniest thing, I'm maybe 90 pounds soaking wet, but I've got my track shorts on and my jersey and I'm just rep repping my school, and the gun goes off, and I'll never forget, it was the first race of the season. And I take off, and I am in a dead sprint, and I'm out in the front as we go around the first turn. And then we go over to the first straightaway, still in the front. I'm feeling good about myself, but I am giving it everything I got. 200 meters in, my lungs are on fire. I can't feel my legs anymore, but I'm remembering what coach said, run fast. And so I'm running fast. Thanks, coach. And I'm running as fast as I can. I come into the final turn. I've got 100, I got 100 meters left of this race, and I am still in first place. And I'm like, yes, this is my sport. I was born for this. I am fast. And I'm coming in to that final turn, that final straightaway, and I can see the finish line, and I see all the parents on the sidelines, and they're cheering for all of us, and I'm still in first place. And then something happens that had never happened to me before. It starts to just kind of get fuzzy and dark kind of out here. And I didn't know what was happening because I've never passed out before in my life. But it starts to, all of a sudden, a, a tunnel is created. And I'm like, what weirdness is this? And I'm like, don't get distracted by the apocalypse. Run fast, run fast, run fast. I'm thinking, what is going on? Thanos snapped his fingers. Okay, that was a dumb Avengers joke. Um, what? Somebody appreciated it. I'm running. I'm like, what is this? Is it the end of the world? Oh my gosh, is Jesus coming back? No, I'm still a virgin. You know, I'm just running as fast as I can, 
and I can see the finish line and the tunnel is getting smaller and smaller. So I did the only logical thing that I knew to do in that moment. I dove through that tunnel like Superman. Hit the track, full on passed out. True story, coach came out, I'm all bloody. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you missed it by 10 feet. <laughs> and I realized that day, coming in first place is hard. And for the rest of the season, I never once got first place. Now, it sounds like a really depressing story, but don't, don't be depressed. I, I just, I realized that season, I realized in life, first place is hard. But the reality is there's so much pressure on all of us, even right now, no matter what it is you're doing in this life, to be the best, to be the fastest, to be the greatest at what you're doing. And it's a great thing to want to be the best and the greatest at what you're doing. And there's a lot of talented people in this room and a lot of talented people that are watching right now because our society continues to tell us and to emphasize first gets the gold, first place, be first place, get to the top, get to the top. In your job, in your career, whatever it is, your influence, you gotta get higher, more followers, more money, more fame, do your thing, be the best at what you do, get first, get first, get first. And with all that pressure to get first, I, I just, I think about the story we read about the man sitting by this pool trying to get healed, trying to get his miracle. Because the Bible tells us, we just read it a moment ago, that only the first one in, when the water is stirred, the first one in gets healed. Nobody else gets healed. So he's by the water that is the potential for his healing and his miracle. He's had an infirmity for 38 years. Can you imagine waiting for 38 years for a miracle to happen in your life? I don't know about you, but I don't wanna wait 38 seconds for my leftovers to warm up in the microwave. Are you with me? I don't wanna wait 38 seconds for Wi-Fi to connect in the new building I'm in. I mean, come on, 38 years. He's waiting, he's in this desperate place by the pool. Not much of a pool party, that's for sure. And when I think of this story, and I think about what happens the moment Jesus shows up this particular day, to the pool. I just, I, 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 wanna, I wanna give our attention to three things tonight, just three things that I think we could take away from this story in scripture that will impact my life and your life. And number one is this, Jesus interrupts the process. Jesus interrupts our process. This man's waiting for 38 years and he knows the process, he knows the routine. Okay, it's a certain point. I don't know if it was once a year, I don't know how often it was, but the water gets stirred up by an angel, they would say, I don't know if it was bubbling, if the water's moving, and the first one in gets healed. That's the process, that's what's gonna work. And can you imagine Jesus shows up, and Jesus actually starts to talk to this guy. But I can imagine if this guy is so focused on his only chance at a miracle, he's probably not even looking at Jesus. He's so focused on the pool. I know if I was there, I'd be so focused on the pool, being like, hold, hold on, excuse me, sir. I don't wanna miss my moment. If this water starts moving and starts bubbling, this is my only chance. And he doesn't realize he's looking at a pool, but he's missing this person. I thought about it a couple weeks ago. I was up in the Northwest visiting family, and I was in Eastern Washington with, with my family and with my kids. My wife was with her family in the Portland area, so we were about three and a half hour drive apart from each other. And it had been a few days and I was missing her really bad, and so I, I decided one morning, just an impulsive decision, I got up at five o'clock in the morning, 
And I got in my car and I'm like, I'm going to go surprise my wife. I drove three and a half hours that morning. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. Maybe I am. But I, I drove my, my car out three and a half hours across the state to the Portland area, got there right at 830, right as I knew maybe she'd be waking up. And, uh, and all I, I made one stop along the way. I got some donuts and I got some flowers. Gentlemen, it doesn't take a lot. <laughs> Guys, write this down. Donuts and flowers, okay? There's some females in the room that would appreciate some donuts and flowers, even in Beverly Hills. Gluten-free, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I showed up at 8.30, got to her parents' house. I didn't even tell her parents. I didn't, I didn't tell her sisters. I didn't tell anybody I was showing up. And, and I, I sneak in, I get into the house, and I go up to, I know where the room where she was staying, and I knew she had just woken up because she had already been texting me. And I was so excited, I had the donuts and flowers, and I walk into the room, and, and I can, all I can see is my wife's arms and her phone because she has, she has a fortress of pillows around her. Now, now in our household, this is how it goes with me and my wife. See, I get my one pillow, at night that I rest my head on, that's all I need. She needs at least five of pillows around her. I know there's some people that are like this in here. She needs a couple for her head and some pillow. Her knees can't touch, you know, and there's the pillows there. And she builds like this wall of this fortress of pillows around here. This is my life. This is, you know, every once in a while I gotta scale those walls, if you know what I'm saying, you know, <laughs> my man. Um, so, come on, I'm married. <laughs> Storm the fortress, here we go. Um, I, so I walk in and she's got the fortress of pillows around her and I see just her, the, this part of her arms up in the air and she's texting, she's texting me. And I walk in, I got the donuts and I got the flowers and I stand there, I finally get within where she can see me and I'm not kidding you, it's 10 more seconds go by. Well, I'm standing right in front of her but she's just on her phone. She told me later she thought it was just her dad or somebody from her family was coming in. Like the last thing she thought was that she was gonna see me. She was so focused on texting me here she didn't realize I was right there in the room and she could just talk to me. And I surprised her and we had donuts and the flowers and husband points, yay me. But I, I just thought in that moment, I think, I think that in the same way, this man in the story was so consumed with the process that he couldn't see the person through the process, that he couldn't see the man through the plan that he had. He had his plan of how this miracle was going to happen and didn't realize that the man that was standing there was his miracle. This, this process, this process, this process. See, I think sometimes in the church, we, we kind of like process. Some of us like process. We like A plus B plus C. We like, we like, show me what to do, show me how to do it. Cool, just show me the boxes to check and we're good to go. But there's some dangers with process Christianity. Pro what do I mean by process Christianity? I mean the idea that when somebody comes to me and is like, Elijah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I need some help here in life. I'm struggling for me to say to them, well, okay, let's start with your Bible reading. How much of your Bible are you reading right now? Oh, oh, a proverb a day keeps the devil away? Really, you're gonna need more than that. That's baby food. Let's, let's do at least three in the old, two in the new. You got a Bible reading plan? We gotta get through this thing in a year, okay? If you wanna get this done, if you wanna stop struggling, you need to check off these boxes of your Bible reading plan. Let's talk about your prayer life now. So are you praying 30 minutes a day? No, 20 minutes a day? Are you even timing your prayers? No, that's not weird. Get used to it. Time your prayers. 
and, 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 and you need more length in your prayers, okay? Let's talk about uh, music content. Do you have the latest Hillsong album? <laughs> Elevation, Bethel. I know the Ed Sheeran album is fire, but we need less Ed and we need more Jesus right now, okay? So I just, can you, okay, small groups? Can we, how, how many groups? How many groups are you in in church home? Oh, three. Well, look at you. Oh, one's an activity group. <laughs> that doesn't count. We need spiritual activity. Okay. Oh, you're going to men's purity group. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's really needed right now in your life. What's the third? Oh, you're in a co-ed group. Well, you better back out of that one right now because you don't need the three Gs, godly, gorgeous girls. Get away from them. Get, stay in the purity group. And and sometimes we think we limit Christianity to this process of check these boxes, do these things, and, and, and hear me out. Reading your Bible's good, prayer's good, all of these things are good, being in groups is good. But when we take this awesome faith in Jesus and limit it to jumping through hoops and doing spiritual activities in order to try to please God with this, we miss the essence of the gospel. And the essence of the gospel is grace. Grace interrupted this man's process that day. And for some of us that are watching right now and some of us that are here tonight, we need grace in the person of Jesus to interrupt this process. Because the moment we start thinking process, the moment we go back to the Old Testament, because you want me to sum up the Old Testament for you? It was man striving and trying really hard to check all the boxes to get to God. And at the end of the Old Testament, guess what? Man failed about a million times over and couldn't do it. Want me to sum up the New Testament for you? The New Testament is God seeing, whoa, man can't ever check all these boxes to get to me. So I'm going to go to them. I'm going to meet them right where they're at. And Jesus interrupted the process. Grace interrupted the process. It shattered the boxes and the process of trying to do works to get to God. This is not about doing works to get to God. This is about trusting in the one who did all the work on the cross for us, trusting in the God who did the work when he came out of heaven and put on flesh and took a cross for me and you and died in our place. Let's focus on that work. Let's focus on that process. But it feels good when you know the plan and you, you, know, you, know, the, you, know, the, you know the process. Man, I got this down. Remember a couple months ago, my youngest son, Z-Max, he's nine years old. He comes home and he's like, Mom, Dad, I was asking my friends today at school if anybody knew God's plan. And I'm like, oh my gosh, son, that's amazing. You're getting so bold with your faith. You're talking about God. That's awesome, son. Yeah, nobody knew. No, nobody knew God's plan. I'm like, well, son, what did you, did you tell them about God's plan? He's like, yes. I finally had to say, oh my gosh, God's plan has been out for two years. That song is amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Drake. It feels, it feels good when you know the plan and you know the process and you got it down. Until there's a moment in our lives where we're waiting and we're waiting. And maybe you're here and you're waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting Maybe it's not for a physical healing like the man in, in the Bible, but maybe you're waiting on something in your life and you're thinking, well, it has to happen. This is the process. This is how it has to happen. Don't miss the person for the process. Don't miss the man for the plan. Don't miss Jesus 
in the midst of this. Jesus wants to interrupt the process. So he shows up on the scene and he begins to talk to this man, which leads me to the second takeaway tonight, and that is change is internal, not external. Because see, this man was so focused on, I gotta get in the water, I gotta get in the pool. The process is I, I need to get myself in the stirred up water in the pool. And the reality was is that the man, Jesus, who showed up wasn't trying to get him into something, but trying to get something into him. What's so crazy and awesome to me is, we read this story, it's in John chapter five, but in the previous chapter, John four, Jesus encounters a woman at a well and they start to have a dialogue. And he starts to read her mail about how many guys she's been with. And she's like, whoa, you must be a prophet. He's like, you think? Jesus didn't say that, but. And they're talking, and they start talking about water, because he says, give me something to drink. And the majority of their conversation is about water at this well. And she says to him, are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than some of the patriarchs from the past? And Jesus answers, in John chapter four, verse 13, and he says to her, whoever drinks of this water, meaning the water in the well, will thirst again. Look what he says in the next verse. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is the chapter he's having a dialogue, right before the chapter we're focusing on tonight, he happens to be having a dialogue about water and declares to her that he's the source of eternal, living, everlasting water. Is it a coincidence that in the next chapter, he's with a man now by the pool, looking at water, waiting for water to be stirred up when the solution was not external, it was not him getting into the water, but to have the living water, Jesus, get on the inside of him. Change is internal. It's an internal thing. But I know if you're, if you're like me, sometimes we think it's about our surroundings and we think it's about, man, I gotta get the water stirred up, man, if I just had this job, then everything would be different. Man, if I just had this much money, if I just had this many followers, if I just had this roommate and not this roommate, and we can make excuse after excuse of why it's all up to our surroundings to bring change. In fact, there's some of us in the room here tonight, the reason you moved to LA is because you were like, I just, I just need change, I need a change in my life, and you moved to LA, but the only problem is that you brought one thing to LA and that's yourself, and you're still stuck with yourself. Uh-oh. And you're wondering why, why, why are things still the same? Why are still, because you're still you. You're just you in a, in a different location. <laughs> you know, for most of my life, I was waiting for the external. And I know I've shared my story before, but my parents split up when I was five, and my dad left. And, and so all through my childhood, I was angry and upset and bitter at my father, who was no longer with us and didn't want to have anything to do with us. And even into my teenage years, I was bitter, I was angry and resentful because I was waiting for this man, my father, to come back and apologize. That was my process. Well, that, well that's what happens. He, he hurt us, he left us, he did bad to me and my mom. He needs to come back and apologize. And that was my process I hung on to for 15 years till I was 20 years of age until I encountered Jesus. 
and I encountered the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the unconditional love of God in the person of Jesus. And it wasn't until that moment I remember hearing the voice of Jesus in my heart say, are you really waiting for this man to change until you can change? Do you think your freedom is conditional based on him, based on what's happening out there? Or do you understand that you can be free right now? That you can have freedom right now. That it's not about the external and about your surroundings. And Jesus in that moment gave me the grace and the strength to forgive my dad and to honor my dad and to even love this man that hadn't been in my life for 15 years. Only by the grace of Jesus. I had been waiting for the external to change. That was my process. But Jesus came and interrupted that process when I was 20 and set me free from bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness that had been in my heart for so long because I was waiting for my process. I was waiting for it to happen the way I thought it was gonna happen. This man is by the pool and this interaction begins to happen with Jesus, which leads us to our third point tonight. Number one, Jesus interrupts the process. Number two, change is internal. And number three, our excuses don't limit Jesus, they limit us. Because Jesus asked the question of this man, do you want to be made well? He asked a simple question. You'd think that would, that would evoke a very simple answer from this man. Yes. The man doesn't say yes. What does he do? He starts listing excuses of why that can't happen. He said, look at the sick man answers him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. And when the water stirred up, while well, I'm coming, another steps down before me. I can't get first place. I can't get in the pool. And, and I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the excuses. He doesn't even say, I mean, Jesus could have been like, oh man, that's too bad. Shoot, okay, I'll go on to the next person, you know? But Jesus literally ignores the excuses and his response to him in verse eight is he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man stands up for the first time in 38 years, takes up his bed and walks and a miracle happens. And I love this because I think we all have reasons and excuses that we like to give God sometimes about why certain things can't happen. Well, well, this is why, well, this, this is why I'm not, not married yet, and this is why I don't have this job yet, and well, this is why I haven't re reached this goal yet, and this is why this can't happen, and this is why this can't happen, and this is why this can't happen. And then Jesus comes in and interrupts our process and begins to say, no, 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 I want to do a change on the inside of you. And our excuses, they don't limit Jesus. Jesus still moved. What I love is this man gave excuses, but Jesus still did the miracle in spite of the excuses. That's how good God is, is that in spite of our excuses, in spite of our reasons, this good God still did the miracle. And I love the first thing he says to him is rise. He tells this man to do something he's never done before. And you know what? When you experience Jesus, 
He will cause you to do something you've never done before. Because before I met Jesus, before Elijah met Jesus, I had never walked a day of my life without shame. I'd never walked a day of my life without a clear conscience. I'd never walked a day of my life without bitterness. I'd never walked a day of my life without insecurities. But when I experienced Jesus, he said to me, rise, and cause me to rise up out of a depressed place and rise up out of a rejected place and rise up out of a bitter place. When you experience Jesus, I'm telling you tonight, God wants to say rise to somebody. He wants to tell somebody tonight that's dealing with depression and suicide, rise. I'm going to cause you to encounter joy. He wants to tell somebody that's dealing with anxiety tonight, rise in my peace, and you will experience peace. He wants to help somebody out tonight that feels addicted to things, that feels bound by things, to know what it's like to rise out of that and walk free maybe for the first time in your life. This is our Savior. He says, rise. He tells us, man, you can stand, you can stand up. You, you, you can stand up. You can stand up. You can get up right now. I think of years ago, I was in Hawaii with my family. I was a teenager and we're on vacation. And I remember I just was so confidently went out into this water, these waves. Nobody else was swimming. That should have been my first red flag. But I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm a good swimmer. I'm going to get out there. I got in these waves, and these waves started tossing me. And I started just, I mean, barely getting a breath, and the next wave is crashing over me. Barely getting a breath, the next wave's crashing over me. My family's on the shore. My brother's laughing at me. You know, he's watching this happen. And I start to panic and think, I'm going to die. And I'm like, help! And I finally see lifeguard come running over, but he only kind of comes a little bit out into the water and doesn't quite come to where I'm at. I'm like, hey! And he's like, Stand up. <laughs> and I've been turning this way, and I didn't realize that I just put my feet down and I stood up, and I was only in about waist deep water. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. Thank you, Hasselhoff. Love you. I, I say this ridiculous story because I think there's some of us that are watching or some of us that are here tonight, and Jesus has been trying to tell you for a while now, rise, rise, because the reality, and I know this reality because this has been my, it was my reality for a long time, is sometimes you get so used to the things that you're laying in. You get so used to the mindset you're laying in. You get so used to the bondage and to the things weighing you down that you just think, well, this, this is your existence. This is how it's going to be. When the reality is you don't have to live with that anymore. You don't have to live with the things that have held you down anymore. Jesus died for that. And Jesus is saying to somebody tonight, rise. He's saying you can get up. Tonight can be your night where you get up and you get free from some of these things that have held you down. And I love that he tells this man, he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And I love that, take up your bed. And, and I remember reading this a while back and thinking, man, why would he take up his bed? This guy's been laying on a bed for 38 years. Jesus should have said, rise, burn that bed and walk, right? That would have been really cool. Like, yes, burn the bed. Let's go. But Jesus said, take up the bed. I think because a man walking through the streets will not draw any attention. He'll look like any other man. But a man dragging a bed has a story. A man dragging a bed, people turn their heads and see that. 
And the reality is that you've got a bed and I've got a bed. I'm, I'm not any better, no pun intended, better than you. We all got beds. That is, we all have a Jesus story. We all have a moment, a season, a time in our life before Jesus where we were laying down on something, spiritually lame, not moving forward in life. But Jesus says, rise and take up that thing. That's your story. That's your testimony. Tell somebody. Let somebody know what Jesus did in your life, that you're free now no longer confined to the pool. You want to talk about a pool party? This man, it was a pool party that day. Not because he encountered a pool, but because he encountered the person of Jesus Christ, the only person that could set him free and bring victory in his heart and healing to his body. And tonight, I want to pray. I want to pray for people that are here tonight that are, that are maybe feeling like you got a lot of excuses and you got a lot of reasons but maybe, just maybe, you would let God interrupt your process tonight. Maybe, just maybe, you'd let Jesus come and interrupt the process and the plan and the, and the way you've been, been going with your, your agenda. Maybe tonight you would actually realize that Jesus is standing right in front of you. So plain, so simple, so clear. And he's saying, rise. Tonight you can rise. This doesn't have to be the worst July ever. If you want to keep being depressed, you can lay there. But Jesus is saying, no, tonight you can rise. Tonight I say rise. Tonight I say rise. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray tonight just for two groups of people. And the first is this. If you're here and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, that is that you've never put your faith and trust in the one who took all the sin of humanity upon his shoulders and died in your place and in mine on the cross so that we could have eternal life simply by saying yes to him, not by checking a lot of boxes, not by a process of working our way up to him, but, but just saying yes to Jesus. Tonight, maybe you're watching somewhere in Seattle or somewhere around the world in our global community and maybe you've been doing life alone. You were never meant to do life alone. And tonight, Jesus wants to interrupt the process. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, you're ready to say yes to him and to follow him on the count of three. Just shoot your hand up in the air and you can put it right back down. One, two, three, all over the room. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up everywhere in the balcony. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. God, thank you so much. Lord, for every hand raised and every heart that's responding tonight. God, we thank you that none of us deserve this. None of us could do anything to earn or deserve your unconditional love for us. But God, you freely give it, and that's why it's called grace. And tonight, we receive that grace. Thank you for forgiving us of all of our sin in this moment as we say yes to you, that you make us a brand new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Jesus, thank you, thank you for saving us tonight, for interrupting our life as we lay next to the proverbial pool, trying to figure out how things are going to change, trying to figure out how life's going to turn around, and yet, Jesus, you walked in the room tonight. You walked into our life tonight and interrupted the process. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us tonight. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here tonight, and maybe, you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, 
But maybe you realize there's some things you've been waiting for. Maybe not 38 years, but maybe you've been waiting for some things and kind of had your excuses and reasons. And tonight you would dare to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to interrupt my schedule. I'm going to trust that Jesus is telling me tonight to rise out of some things, to rise out of some mindsets, to rise out of a way of thinking, out of a way of living, out of a way of operating in a, in a bound up limited, restricted way. Maybe you're feeling a little bit lame like this man by the pool and you need this Jesus moment, this moment of freedom right here tonight. You need that. Would you raise your hand right now? Would you just raise your hand all over the room? God, I thank you. You're talking to everybody tonight. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you are not limited. You're not limited by our excuses, God. And tonight we say, Lord, have your way. Jesus, do the miracles you need to do. Somebody that's believing for a physical miracle in their bodies tonight, God, you are a healer. Somebody that's believing for a financial miracle that doesn't know how they're going to pay rent by the end of this month, God, you are the provider. God, for somebody that's been bound up, addicted to substances, you are our deliverer that can set us free tonight. Lord, I pray, God, tonight we would take the box off of you, God, and let you just be God. Let you be who you are. Jesus, that tonight you're saying, rise, take up your bed and walk. Thank you, God. Thank you for miracles in this place, miracles in our heart tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, can we congratulate all those who said yes to Jesus tonight and made the greatest decision of their life?